Can you hear me? It's good. <laughs> hey, it's not interested. <laughs> Welcome everyone. Welcome back to the Publisher Lab. Here we are again. We're, we're in, our, in our finery today because there's uh, there's talk of awards. Uh, we have a new member of the team. Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, all aces for us today. Yeah, it's been a good day. So we, we have a guest with us, John. So uh, I think you know, speaking of the news, like we have a new team member, big announcement. So I feel like if we had a drum, we should be doing a drum roll drum right roll. now. This is Ohad, Ohad Tazur from, from Google, joined us from Google. So, Ohad, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you for hosting me here, and it's um, really great to be here. Um, I thought I could take just a few minutes to introduce myself to our fellow publishers. So, um, in the last five years, I worked with Google. I've been on different teams there. I saw the advertiser side, as well as uh, the publisher growth organizations, online, online partnerships group, if you're uh, familiar. Um, I also had a really rare chance to build the whole uh, channel reseller strategy for Google, and this is how I got to know uh, about Azoic and really assess different partners in the market. So, what is it? Sorry to interrupt you. What yeah, is man. a channel partnership strategy? Because that's definitely a googly sounding kind of title. Right, right. So when you think about this, Google works with a massive amount of publishers in the market, yeah. right? It's actually a public it's number. It's be millions, beyond right? two million publishers and developers on the apps. Yeah. Um, and Google's looking for a way to really optimize the support services and the different types of value-added services that are provided to these publishers. Unfortunately, with limited amount of resources, Google can't give everything to everyone. And yeah. so we would look for partners in the market to understand who are the top partners, partners that can really add significant value to publishers, okay. take care of them, help them uh, make the most out of the digital world, and so forth. So if the channels are like web publishers or digital publishers, who are the other... This is very serious, isn't it? We've gone straight in. Yeah, yeah. This is straight. In. We do this sometimes. Like yeah. we just get right in. You like. guys, you better be paying attention. <laughs> We're getting straight into it. Um, but I mean, you've got web publishers, but you're saying app developers as well. Correct, and we have different tiers of them. So there's publishers and developers who would be managed what's called directly. Uh, those are they receive account management from Google, usually uh, first to be on betas and so forth. Yeah. And really, the the rest of them would have very limited services. Either it's really a sales uh, service product where they would have to read help articles to understand Google's products and then channel is sort of a, a third angle of hey maybe they should just work with one of the partners to um, understand the solutions and monetize okay so I want to I just want to rewind for a second because they, they mean like I, we can definitely dig into that because there's probably a lot of stuff that publishers are listening to specifically like AdSense publishers and things like that that are like their ears are perking up because they're like they 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 rarely get the you know the the direct from the source information but I want to kind of go back because the just the idea of like working at Google it's like one of the one of the places that people always talk about like uh, in, in terms of being an innovative place it's kind of like you know sometimes i heard somebody say the other day like google's that place that you work at where you tell people i work at google and they say congratulations and so yeah. uh I, I thought maybe it would be interesting to kind of hear your story about like how you came to actually to to be there because i think it's it's actually really interesting yeah i know i'm happy to share so um i always start by saying that in my previous professional life, I jumped off of planes, which has <laughs> nothing to do with the uh, online world. 
Um, I'm originally from Israel, uh, and it was part of IDF, uh, the military. I was actually on the paratroopers uh, organization, sort of elite infantry, and somehow uh, jumped off to be in the online uh, industry. I you landed for... in Silicon Valley. <laughs> That's a good one. Cha-ching. No, that is an intro. That is an entrance, isn't it? That's like a James Bond. That's entrance. the entrance. And you know, um, back in 2008, I had the chance to work with one of the um, startups, um, ad networks in Israel called DSNR Media Group, and it was a really great intro into the online business because I, I got for the first time to understand the concepts of how things are tracked over the internet and the different business models, how publishers and uh, advertisers interact, and that was good. Um, I found myself doing my master's at MIT Sloan, which is a great school to go, and was recruited to Google from there. And really, um, as you said, Tyler, I think Google is an amazing place to work with, and I'd say three really key reasons. One you get to touch and are exposed to 10x ideas that shape the future, but really ideas that turn into reality. And it's rare that you work in a place that really, you know, um, talks about talks and produces driverless cars, thinks about the future of the internet, and then helps also solve um, aging problems on, on the biomed side. Mm -hmm. and that's kind of one. The second thing is uh, incredible investment in personal growth. So really employees that get um, full attention for what is it that they need in their career, what trainings they would need and so forth. And really you're treated uh, as a person in your career versus just a person in the role. And then the third thing is just, I think just working with amazing people and those are relationships that would go with me for the longer run. And so I think that's that's a part of developing the relationship of, of Azoic and Google that comes into play. And I already see Tyler writing his, his resume, but uh, <laughs> the good thing about it, hey. <laughs> uh, the good thing about it is it's, it's a great place, but um, I think you know the excitement of working in a startup is on a different level. And for me, that was one of the things that brought me here. Yeah. Is it is it true at Google that you get a certain percentage of your time to spend on your own project? Correct, correct. So uh, if, if you know uh, or either you read the, uh, the book Googleplex or heard about early days, 20% was a, a wide concept of 20% um, of your time, basically a day a week, is defined on things that you care about, that you want to work on. It's, it could be initiatives, projects, new ideas, and so forth. Um, and today, Google also opened uh, a new division, which is called Area 120, which is sort of an internal incubation of startups. So you can really build your business and ideas there. Um, overall, very exciting. And I think just it, it's the approach of uh, having employees initiate, own, and just uh, bring their efforts forward. Yeah. That's that's really cool. Actually, the, yeah, cool. like the, the, the incubator thing, that's a really neat idea. I hadn't heard about that before. You know, in, in that process, like, so the group that you were kind of like fast forwarding then back like to where we were before, you, your group in particular was in charge of partnerships. So um, it, it, if we kind of like focus in on like the publishing group or whatever, uh, I think one of the things that's interesting in that spot is, you know, our publishers that are listening to this in a lot of cases have never touched really very, you know, you mentioned earlier, like the products being very self-service and things like that. So at what point does a public, like a publisher or a site owner get to a point where, you know, they're, they're using a self-service product like AdSense or DFP or something like that. And they have, you know, they have a need maybe that a partner fills versus like, you know, you mentioned Google account managers and things like that. So that, that kind of that line between Google providing a platform of tools versus providing services, but also providing partners. Like how, how should a publisher like look at navigating that kind of space? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, I think it, it, a lot of the answers here relate to the, think about this as a life cycle of a publisher there, right? The general concept that we should all be thinking of is having people that create content 
focused on creating content. That's the essence of the web, and we're all trying to promote the web to be a place with richer content, with quality content out there. And so uh, it really relates. So if you're a one person shop of a business and you're a, sort of a simple publisher you may just you know sign up for adsense it's a self service tool and you would generate you know some earnings from this but you would still remain small as your website grows and becomes more sophisticated and you want to integrate uh, more demand sources slash you know uh, benefit for some of the new technologies like you know the amp platform for mobile mm -hmm. um, then you really make you need to make a change now if your organization allows you to hire people that do ad ops and technical people to really do development, then that's great. You probably can benefit by yourself. Potentially, you'll get to a space that you're big enough to work directly with Google. In a lot of cases, we found that publishers that are growing don't want to invest these upfront costs in development and in ad ops. They would rather just say, look, our efforts and resources will be spent on making our website and content great, and we'll let someone else deal with the monetization and site development. Um, technical development aspect of things, which is a, a whole different category, right? Um, that's, a, that's a big ask, though, for a lot of publishers, isn't it? Because having control, and I think most publishers that I've met anyway, uh, they talk to ad networks and they want, they want some visibility, they want to see what's going on. Um, how big do you have to be when you get to work with Google directly? Yeah, so those are, are figures that would change based on the strategic view. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nicely put. <laughs> a nicely measured answer. Exactly. You, you got the exact numbers that you were looking for. Yeah. Um, there's no specific number that would put you on account manager. Usually Google knows to reach out once you're, yeah. you grew enough, once they feel that there's complexities and they can help you solve solutions. Yeah. Um, it, it, took, it took us a while, actually, when we, were, when we started. You know, remember um, I told you we bought... Um, a whole bunch of sites, and I think I think we could, we got to about two million dollars a year, something like that, and then we were just starting to get to know who Google, you know, we were we were trying we were pushing for somebody to talk to, but eventually we ended up not having an account manager, but going down the AdX route, DFP and AdX, which obviously is something we wanted to get into as soon as possible, but AdX particularly. Um, so I don't know right, I mean, if that just, helps anybody out there. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you just, have to be reasonably big to speak to Google, right? I mean, that's, that's correct. Honest. That's correct. And just you know, to, to back that up with a story, um, I always mentioned that uh, I interacted with Azoic for the first time about three years ago uh, when Azoic was about ten employees and still very very young on on the life cycle. Um, and as they developed over time, we found them to be more qualified from the Google end to be a certified publishing partner to really gain more of our trainings uh, and resources to grow together. Uh, it does take a while, and it takes a lot of expertise as well. Yeah. And so for, if you're a publisher, you really need to make that call at some point. What route and where do you allocate your resources towards? And should you work with a partner that perhaps can help you take control on things that you don't want to deal with? Um, which is fair, again, for content creators. You're kind of shifting gears because now, now I'm kind of like I've got my publisher hat on and I'm thinking through like a lot of the different like while we've got you here and we've got you like captive like in front of a live audience. You know what I think you know something that's probably on the minds of a lot of publishers right now uh, as it relates to monetization, uh, large, small, uh, and different, it doesn't matter. That this 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 kind of big shift towards AMP, right? So that's that's a big part of uh, something we've talked about on the podcast before about you know it, it it it's almost like an investment in the future right because it's you're speeding up the internet you're providing faster pages you potentially could put your content in front of more people 
um, but there's this potential right now that you might actually earn less. And um, so I'd be interested to kind of hear uh, how AMP is viewed internally there and then also kind of your perspective now as you shift over to the partner side and you're starting to look at things maybe a little bit differently. Yeah, so, so to just emphasize strongly one of the points that you just made, uh, I don't think publishers or users had put enough thought to realize how much one second of additional time to your load time reduces your returning customers. So basically we have some data to show that uh, I think it was the number was nine or 10 seconds. By then you lost 90% of your customers if it takes your site on mobile to loan after uh, about nine seconds, which is by the way, that's average numbers in the market. That's not uh, ridiculous numbers to have. Uh, it's critically important as we go into this mobile world and there's enough data to show the trends that our publishers, uh, publishers in the market are optimized on how they uh, connect with the users on mobile platforms. And AMP is a great uh, example of that. So uh, so you're right. One, it's, it's a big focus on Google to have that education and mind shift of publishers from the previous development towards the new version of how things would be really speeded up on the internet. That's one. Two, you're right. I mean, data is still a little bit inconsistent when it comes to revenue. Overall, as we move forward, uh, we're developed towards the solution, and I think Google is solving some of the problems now of things that are sort of holding us back from placing ads as we would do on mobile web. Um, because of changes in page speed, it really depends what comparison you make, you should see some uplift. Um, again, I think as we move forward, data would be more consistent. And then the question would be, well, with progressive web apps, how does that roll into this picture? And I think it's going to be an evolution of uh, yeah. AMP towards that at some point. That's something that we haven't talked about on the podcast. I'd be interested to hear more about that. I mean, you know, can you explain? Yeah, what is a what, yeah, what is a progressive web? Yeah. So so when you think about this, let's let's put our, our user hat on for a second, right? Mm -hmm. We sort of have we live in two worlds. We all have smartphones and we have our app world, which we use a lot. Then we also have a developing mobile world, right? The question that comes, do we actually need both, right? Do we need to have a Google version of how we do searches and also a mobile optimized site or for every app that you use? I, I think that we're going to this route of convergence of basically both of them coming to be combined or being very, very similar mm -hmm. to a sense that we won't need both, right? So what is progressive web apps? If you remember, let's say a year or two ago, if you would just measure the difference between or look at the difference between apps and mobile websites, it's really about using the leveraging the hardware of the device on the apps that made the app so much better. Because um, they're so the much experience. faster, right? Right, they're faster, they can use other other features on the device, on the hardware device that are not used by mobile web. So, so framework run, a lot. Yeah, the framework is, is essentially established and it's just pulling in data super fast. Right, and so, so now this creates a big issue from publishers and developers because what would you want to develop? Should I invest in apps, in mobile web, in both? Why should I spend costs on both, right? And so progressive web apps are basically the new mobile web applications that would be basically a imitation of an app, but it's going to be a mobile website. So they will be basically uh, having some of the functionalities of apps to really improve that experience. Hmm. Now, the question will be in the future, again, are we going to see full conversions of these two or are we going to still have two different paths? Um, the app industry, as you probably know, is very concentrated in terms of amount of downloads, which is the key metric to look, and yeah. also the, the, the opportunities to make revenue within top gaming apps, while there's probably going to be more opportunities to monetize on um, progressive web apps. But we're still in really baby steps here. 
I, I think it's to do with discovery because discovery inside apps in the uh, you know in the app store, for example, in Apple, it's hard work finding anything, and then you have to go on you know the ratings of other users, stuff like that. Whereas the, I think the good thing about Google search engine is that it's you know the algorithm's been developed over time with so much data from real users looking for information that you know I, I'd be I'd be very happy to use a running app that. It is running from the web rather than it's you know being on my phone, but I, that's the way I see. It. I think the content discovery inside uh, the app space, either in the Android uh, app store or the Apple one, is is hard. I mean, there's just so many of them, and that's correct. You kind of download it, and it doesn't yeah. work. Get rid of it. They have to go back, download another one. I, I, I yeah. can see why. I can see why the user need is there. And, and that's one of the drivers, by the way, for uh, the concentration of why it's very difficult to actually have um, users find, engage, and download a wide variety of apps like, you know, the evolution of the web versus what we have today on apps which, you know, in terms of discoverability, you know about the top X apps in the market, but really there's not a lot of change there. So I'm going to ask kind of a publisher question here because uh, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's asking you right now, is, is the... Is a progressive web app, web app potentially something that could be monetized more effectively than an app today? So, like, let's say I'm a I'm a site and I have an app of some kind, um, and I'm trying to monetize it in you know traditional forms. Uh, would a progressive web app give me better opportunities for that, or potentially make it worse? I'd say it's to do with retention of users. So, if you get people using progressive web web app, the idea is that you're going to keep them. It's like they bookmarked you on their phone. Um, yeah. So that, that's got to be good for monetization. But in terms of like how much per user, I would think it was kind of similar to uh, a normal web page. Right? So he, here's what I, uh, the way to, I would answer this is we don't know yet what's the potential in terms of formats on the page. But going back to what John said before, which is the discoverability, you can probably trust that it's going to be easier to bring traffic towards your progressive web apps versus your apps, which again are limited in that first interaction with users. So I, I think from a traffic perspective, it's going to be easier for progressive web apps. Uh, from formats, you know, CPMs, EPMVs, it's going to be different or difficult to predict at this point. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, very early days. I only just found out what it meant. So there seems to be, just in general, uh, this kind of move towards having uh, different types of platforms and things like that start to cache or uh, provide uh, mechanisms to uh, make content available quicker. So we see that we're seeing this in you know ways that publishers are probably seeing every day: Facebook instant articles, uh, LinkedIn. If you actually go to LinkedIn now and you see anything that you publish inside of that application, they have like their own little version of the lightning bolt symbol. You know that shows you that the, that content opens super quickly. Uh, Medium has their own version of it as well. So it seems like there's kind of this battle going on right now between all these different platforms to basically. Uh, take my content and store it for me and make it available faster. Um, but as a publisher, is that is that the best thing for me? Yeah. Well, here's the thing, right? As as even with the Google hat on, the recommendation to publishers is trying to widen how they reach users. And we're fortunate enough to live in a world that there are so many adding value tech companies that provide that access to users. Sometimes it's a difficult decision and the recommendation for us is, well, you should do both or as many as you can. And it's one of the drivers that I would say, I understand why this is a tricky ask for publishers. Does it make sense for you to create this or does it make sense for you 
to hire someone to help you do this internally or again with one of the partners to manage your uh, reach strategy. Now you said you had your Google hat on. I thought we took that from you. <laughs> John, I thought, I thought you said you got his hat. <laughs> you still got your hat, haven't you? Well, uh, I, I get my access. No, that, that was actually taken from me as well as my computer, but I still have my, uh, oh. my, my heart with Google. <laughs> yeah. You have your Google tattoo someplace? Yeah. Oh, I can't show that. Unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> I, I always think of that movie, The Intern. You'll never think about people. Are you googly? <laughs> as you mentioned this fun fact I had the pleasure to be five and a half seconds on the internship movie as an extra on oh, stage you? yeah and if you really want to look at one of the scenes that Vince Vaughn is there and you see my elbow from 200 feet that's me <laughs> uh, it didn't raise my uh, lift my uh, Hollywood career no one called me back not um, yet not yet not, uh, yet. not yeah. yet once they hear this podcast and they the, the problem is is they probably watched that scene and they thought to themselves boy if we only knew who that guy in the background was we would get a hold of him because he was stellar, and now they know. So I'm sure, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, you're the star of the day because not only are you going to get all these movie roles, you know, announced as new vice president here at Azoic. You know, I think, I think the, the future, your future is bright. <laughs> That's good. I hope you're that bringing we... us good luck so far because <laughs> we got our award, right? Oh, we, oh, we, to say oh, we, we talked earlier. We, we, yeah, we won, we won an award oh, yeah. today. Uh, we don't. We, we kind of bounce back and forth sometimes. For you, for you guys that are maybe this is the first podcast you're listening to because you want to hear about an ex-Google employee talk about publishing and things like that, uh, John and I run the podcast, and uh, and we usually just talk about publishing subjects. We, we do work at Zoic. You could probably piece those things together. Um, so we work with tons of publishers, and that's what makes us kind of credible on this, this subject. But... Uh, we we Zoic actually we won an award today for business innovation for basically helping publishers using uh, our application, which is an ad testing tool. So, Ohad, before you came here to work with us, you were actually uh, you know on the team of people that actually we submitted our application for the award to. So tell us a little bit about the award. You probably know more about it than we do. Wait, wait are we saying that it's linked that Zoic won that award? <laughs> no. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I want to I want to make sure. You, I don't know, so but... you you actually recuse yourself from like any kind of like. Uh, connection with that, correct? Correct, correct. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you all probably heard about the Google Certified Publishing Partner Program. That's a, that's a mouthful, and I'm not yeah. in charge of the name. Um, but basically, that's the program that wants You guys should have just called it Google Flash. <laughs> Google <laughs> well, we tried awesome. that. that. That exists somewhere, you know, all <laughs> the features that exist on Google Play. Um, this program is really to call out some of our top partners in different markets on the work that they do, how they satisfy their customers and publishers, and the technology and added value services that they provide. And so, you know, once a year for an annual event, what we do is we hold a session of a few different types of categories for awards um, and uh, really to recognize those who worked hardest on different topics. And so this year, we won the Business Innovation Award, which is basically how we innovated and rolled out uh, new projects, features, and products to the market. And I'll ask John actually to tell us a little bit about the ad tester. Oh, the ad tester, yeah. I mean, I, I guess, have we talked about it on the podcast before? I think I think we one of the things that I think we talked about early on in one of the first episodes, which is definitely worth listening to because John kind of drops like some, some serious knowledge about how to make more money with ads on your site. But we talked about like all the different things that affect ad earnings on your site. Mm, but yeah, I mean, right. like it, we only know that because we've built an artificial intelligence that basically tests all those things. So yeah. basically the tool that we're talking about is a tool that allows people to 
test like millions and millions of ad combinations all at once. Yeah, right? basically what we got the award for, uh, the Business Innovation Award from Google for was Ad Tester, and Ad Tester is our flagship product. And what it does is it tries different ad combinations on each page of a user session. So what a publisher does is they set up a potential ad location or many, many, many potential ad locations, and then the system monitors the user experience metrics, so the bounce rate, time on site, page views per visit, and then it alters the um, the ad combinations depending on what it learns over time. So in other words, it, it tries things, gets to a point of statistical confidence by showing it to enough people to know this beats this in this situation, and then on this per landing page basis, if you guys are still with me, it's deciding, what you don't want is to show too many ads too early in a user session and spam people away. What you want to do is you want to get just the right balance of ads and content engagement. And that's really what it's doing. And um, it was interesting because earlier today, I was, on a, I was on a call with a publisher. It's got a really fantastic big site. And it's sort of owner operator, I mean, it's his livelihood, you know, really good at header bidding, really good at, you know, it's doing some kind of cool stuff like injecting ads into certain um, kind of locations. He didn't know about landing page, uh, the, the way of appraising monetization through landing pages. So that's really what we've kind of been at the forefront of is looking at these metrics in a different way, not talking about CPMs, not talking about like ad network waterfalls, all of that stuff is, you know, from a long time ago. Uh, so it's it, it's some, it's like the, the accumulation of all everything that we've learned from building this stuff for ourselves first off, and then building the platform into one product, and that's what we call like ad tester. So, so for all yeah. of you guys that were like, what was that thing about landing pages? So that's <laughs> yeah. like one of the fundamental things we always talk about. We talked about it at length in one of our last shows. So you can go back and look. There's a show that we did based on how to identify your most valuable website visitors, which. I mean, cat's out of the bag. It's, it's by identifying uh, people that land on landing pages, what they earn over the, overall in the sessions from those pages, and those are your most valuable, basic pages or users. Yeah. Um, but we also, actually, if you go to blog.azoic.com, there's a really good one there, too, uh, blog on basically how to go through that as yeah. well. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. And, and the webinar and how, and how that landing page information feeds back into SEO and content creation and what you should be spending time on. And this guy that I was talking to, it was like a kind of a light bulb. You can hear, almost hear it on the phone call, like, oh, okay, I get it now. And um, it's actually really hard to do by tagging up all your own pages yourself and trying to sort of reverse engineer all this stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty stoked. I only really just found out about it earlier today. So we just uh, saw uh, Dwayne getting his award on the Google stage. Dwayne, our CEO. Yeah. What, what I think is really interesting about it, just in general, is this, you know, we talk about business innovation. But as you mentioned waterfall methodology, this idea that you would take a group of ad networks, move the ad tags around on the page, and ultimately you're going to kind of come up with this like your own version of like a secret sauce. Like because you've worked with your site every day, you're going to come up with like this ultimate solution that's going to earn you the most amount of money. But I think, you know, uh, Ohad, you, you've been involved uh, at, you know, at Google uh, for long enough to know. And I think we saw this at, at, at a recent event that we were at. You know, I think a lot of publishers still stop operate at that level. And we think of those things as being in the past because there's all these other solutions like header bidding, like being able to use tools like Azoic to basically um, use yeah. machine learning and these other tools to basically improve the way that uh, basically ads bid on the page, show up on the page, all this other kind of stuff. 
But I think there's still a lot of publishers out there that are operating under these kind of moving ad tags around uh, uh, Well, it's really passing ad tags back. That's what a waterfall is. But um, real-time bidding should, over time, make all that go away. Right. I mean, and, you know, an interesting story here is uh, in one of the calls that we had today, a publisher sort of in the beginning of the call really said that they're having a very difficult time understand and sort the different solutions out there and the different advice that people give on this because mm. it is fragmented. Unfortunately, we're not yet at the world that we're in a fully optimized um, stock exchange for ads where every impression in the world would have the highest bid. Mm -hmm. What we can do though is take actions, as, as Tyler said and John, um, to move one or two steps forward from what was previously known as the standard waterfall yeah. stack to really optimize uh, for higher bidding solutions. And, and really, uh, the thing I hear more often than not, and probably what a lot of listeners will be able to empathize with, is you get good at writing content, curating content, because you're passionate about your subject. And maybe you've developed this into an enormous business and you've got lots and lots of different sites, and maybe you've got teams below you, um, producing the content. Really, um, the discipline of producing content is not the same as the discipline of being really good at ad operations, for example. And you can outsource that and so on, um, but I think more and more technology is going to be taking, taking the strain here. You shouldn't, the people shouldn't be out there trying to sell their own ads anymore. Really, programmatic is going to sort all this out for them. I think that's that's kind of interesting, and, and you brought up a really interesting point earlier where you talked about you, you said there's a lot of conflicting information out there. I think that that's probably an understatement, right? We we've talked about previously on another show where we talked about like the complexity of the ad tech industry, yeah. um, and so you know, I mean, from your perspective, what what's a publisher supposed to do? Who who do they trust? And and whenever they, you know, if if I'm like you mentioned earlier, the John the the person you were talking to earlier was an owner operator they had a fairly large site um they've been successful basically on their own own they are successful. but yeah. to, but to grow to that next level or really optimize they really will have to trust somebody else to help them uh, with monetization and how yeah. do you go about finding somebody that you can trust because it, it's intimidating well it is because you've got i mean uh you've only really got reputation and then referrals and then what you can find out on the internet and of course some of that can be like opaque or you know skewed information um really google i think have you know obviously the top rep in the in the whole space um when you're making you know twenty thousand dollars a month or sometimes for some of them twenty thousand dollars a week going to that next stage you know trying to sort of push things up you don't want to wreck that so you've got to do things baby steps and, and small. I think the, my overall advice to people is testing is the best way, you know, you don't have to go all in with a new partner, just give them a small amount. Like, and what, what we do is we say, okay, divert a small percentage of traffic through to the testing system and see how, see how you get on with it. And the rest of it will monetize as normal. And that's, that to me is a sensible approach. Whereas a lot of ad networks be like, Hey, put our tags on, see if you make more money. And then they are kind of like then hounding them for more and more traffic. And that's, uh, for me, when... More exclusive contracts in some cases. That's right. You know, oh, the bait and switch where you sort of get people in on high rates and then get them to sign a contract and then, 
you know, you're looking at the small print later on, you realize that there's a 50% rev share that you didn't know about. It's still out there. You can yeah. still see it. One more tip. I mean, a few tips on Tyler's questions here. I mean, one, <clears throat> this is one of the key reasons why Google had launched this program because we understand it's a wild... The certified program. Oh, yeah, I mean the certified publishing partner program, of course. Yeah. It's, it's a wild west out there. Uh, and, and you as a publisher are probably um, contacted by various partners. Um, we can't control the partners, but you can go and find out more information on those who are actually certified with the badge, and uh, you can check the, the Google uh, public site there. That's one tip. Second tip, just when you work with partners, uh, try to understand how data-driven they are. Uh, do they use data to actually show you the results, or is it very vague or, or random or based on their feelings or thoughts or intuition? And that's a good indication of whether a company is really uh, using the right metrics to support um, their product. What if they have a super secret algorithm that they can't share any information about, but it's, like like I said, super secret? Uh, contact me. I have a connection with the Israeli government. Um, well, I think it's important at least to understand the concept of what is it that they're doing. Um, if they can't answer that, uh, I would still push on those questions. But when you look at data of that growth, it's very important to understand what is that data compared correctly to what you see um, and then figure out your decision making as long as there is data there. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw today I get retargeted for all sorts of tech businesses because of the sites I go to and I get, re, you know, I get retargeted. And I saw one big and network, not going to say who, but they were talking about um, eCPMs on native ads. I'm like, I know what you're doing. I know, <laughs> um, and they're just it's basically if you if you've got it like a headline grabbing, a sort of claim that you can put in a in a in a one line that says you're going to get three times your eCPMs. You need to get into the detail of what what is what are the caveats here. Yeah. It's a little bit like seeing people who are saying. Um, you know, if you're getting a new credit card, the introductory rate and then the small print, or if you're, uh, I don't know, selling something on credit This, a is, finance this, deal, is, a, this like, is a new one I actually saw, like a friend of mine on Facebook, because I was familiar with this, but he was selling, he was selling a boat on, uh, on Craigslist and he got contacted by somebody who said, hey, we're going to send you a certified check. And he said, you know, like this is a really sketchy arrangement or whatever. He said, but if he sends me a certified check, I... I don't really understand where the scam is. Won't I come out ahead? And well, the truth is, if you've ever heard of those scams before, is well, here's how it works. This is interesting. If uh, they send you the check, if they can send a, a certified check, but it's still no good. So if you cash it and take the money, eventually that check, they're going to find out that there's no money in account or a fake account or whatever, and they're going to come back and they're going to say, well, that your bank is going to come back and say, well, we need that money. Oh, they claw it But back. if somebody came and got your boat in that me meantime, you're out of boat and you have no money and potentially in trouble too if you spend that money maybe on a new boat or something like that. So it's one of those things where his question was, I know that this person's a scammer, but I don't really understand the scam. We should probably do another podcast sometime, maybe have uh, Dwayne on, who's very good at kind of picking apart those He's good at sniffing these things out. I'm yeah. sure that publishers a lot of times see or are contacted by people where they hear you know, like you mentioned earlier, you know, I things that are too good to be true, but maybe just don't understand why, you know, and yeah, yeah. If it sounds too good to be true, the chances are it is. So, yeah, isn't true. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the the ad network world, I think, is changing over time. I mean, even at the very very high level of big sites that are, 
you know they're struggling to monetize sometimes the very pre at the very premium end and the direct deals that they do with advertisers are now the advertisers through the agencies are much more going through the agency channels for programmatic now um, so I, I see I see a shift you know coming all the way and I'm hoping that quality content really good quality content is going to be rewarded more because we're going to see hopefully the lower quality content getting getting less so I think as this whole ecosystem develops um, it will shake out that the you know the cream rises to the top and I think that's going to be good for you know uh, organic publishers that are producing top quality content Over, I think they're going to make more in the future than they are now I was going to say those trends kind of correlate with the trends that we're seeing in organic search and so as we're talking about trends just to kind of wrap things up Ohad, I thought it would be good to kind of just get your perspective, you know, on both of those things that John just mentioned. You know, what are those trends? Do you, do you find those trends in the marketplace accurate? Um, whether it's from your experience at Google or just your general feelings, like, it, it, does the marketplace seem to be heading towards greater, more, better quality publishing, focusing on content, more programmatic, less direct deals? Um, you know, I'll let you kind of fill in the, the gaps there. Yes, so, so two things that I would say, two trends that are, are key to understand here, and I'm, I'm very much aligned with what John is saying. One, let's ask ourselves for a second a question. Why do we see the whole ad blocking phenomena today, right? Well, we're seeing it because users are actually having a horrible experience online, and it's happening because either we don't look at the metrics that explain user engagement, we use, or publishers in general, or other companies use very scammy types of ads that create a really horrible experience for us. And I'm seeing, I think this is gonna be a year of a shift towards we'd like to get back into our web that we like and focus on on sites with quality. I actually think that some of the bigger players in the market would start favoring those who really produce organic quality content for readers to read. That That's one, one aspect of it. The second thing is really, um, as technology develops, you know, we all saw the evolution of the online advertising industry, we can get better. So we want to make sure that publishers really have the optimal yield that is relevant by what their users determine, what advertisers determine for their content. So we'll see more of that push towards programmatic. Overall, it's a big shift towards improving quality on sites, improving the user experience, and improving the monetization for publishers. Yeah, nice and good. I think that's a great way to kind of wrap up this show, which I think ended up being really interesting because we got to learn a little bit more about, like, I think there's probably a lot of publishers out there where they, they'd probably like for you to dig maybe a little bit deeper, but uh, in terms of, like, sharing all the secrets. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry, folks at home. You, We both know you're not getting those secrets. I was just about to talk about quality. Oh, We so don't have nice. time. We don't have time. <laughs> Yeah, how do you get to number one in Google? Come on, tell me. <laughs> and that's it, folks. <laughs> He's going to tell us off air. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we're going to wrap this thing up, and we hope you enjoyed the podcast today. We'll have another one coming at you next week. And uh, thanks for joining us. Again, uh, write those reviews on iTunes because those are continuing to help us bring you guys more and more content because our listener base grows each time. If you have ideas about stuff that you'd like us to talk more about, something maybe from a previous show or something new, uh, just tweet at us, at Azoic. John and I will both both see those until we get maybe like a show Twitter account up or something like that. So Sounds thanks, good. guys. Thanks, Ovan. Thank you, guys.